Warning number one, I have a fly circulating around me and I am yet to capture and kill the fly. So I am armed with raid. I'm going to peebo the fly out of existence. So if it comes near me during this podcast, I may have to stop and eradicate a little fly. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today on the show, we're going to do some extraordinary code cracking. We're going to delve into the green swan events, which have been occurring at a global level, which definitely impact real estate investment, ownership, and what you can do about being a smart investor when it comes to climate change. Climate change without question is real and its impact is going to be felt across the real estate world. Real estate assets will be reshaped by the green swan dynamic, which is climate change. So I tell you what, I'd love you to Take some notes today because there are some real value bombs to understand how you should invest in the economy of tomorrow, which includes green economics. Tell you what, I can't wait to talk about this episode, but just two warnings along the way. Warning number one, I have a fly circulating around me and I am yet to capture and kill the fly. So I am... Armed with raid, I'm going to peebo the fly out of existence. So if it comes near me during this podcast, I may have to stop and eradicate a little fly. The other thing is I am suffering from a bit of hay fever. So if I have a bit of a bout of kafoon, as they say in Japan, if I get the old Japanese kafoon and start sneezing uncontrollably, I do apologize. But today we are here not to learn about kafoon or killing flies. We are here to discuss a pretty serious topic. In fact, about a year ago, uh, the last holidays we sort of had at a major level before coronavirus came along, We in Australia were going through something which was rather terrifying. We were having a complete national green swan event. And green swan events really do just link to the idea that the climate is changing and we need to understand the impact of that. We as consumers need to adopt new behaviours to help the environment, but also adopt behaviours which protect us from the financial risk of the environment. Now, when I sort of was seeing this unfold, you know, it deeply impacted me. I had literally animals from nearby bushland drinking water out of my swimming pool because the drought was so bad that there was simply no water 
in uh, a coastal national park where where I live next to. So you can imagine uh, there is just so much impact going on and we need to start to make some very good decisions around it. In fact, I was so impacted by last year's bushfires and drought, I started writing a book and a big part of my last book, The Money Magnets of Property Investing, is dedicated to the principle of understanding about green economics. Because I think a lot of property investors don't really comprehend that into the future, the green economy is going to play a massive part in owning real estate, maintaining real estate, and what real estate we should invest in. Now, I've spent 20 years of my life developing a model that is designed around helping people sustain investments. And sustain is just simply a word for holding something for a very long time, but also getting growth out of investments. And I teach a model which includes buying real estate in live-work-play areas, livability, the idea that wellness is real and people will pay a premium for it, knowledge is real and the jobs of tomorrow are important to our property investors and movement is real, how people get about the mobility of human beings and how they interface with society has a massive impact on what type of properties get growth, what type of properties will be popular into the future. So today we're actually really discovering a component of the wellness section of my model. And a lot of that has to do with the green swan itself. Now the wellness model is a big model and today I just don't have enough time to go over every single bit of understanding how the environment is going to impact people and how we in society need to evolve. I'm going to do some more podcasts on this topic because it is really a big topic to go through. But one could argue before coronavirus came along, green swans were the big trigger to the next property crisis. And coronavirus has come along and kind of reshaped economics in favour of property and real estate investment. But it does mask some underlying real battles to understand as a property owner. You know, the bushfires themselves eradicated so much wildlife, so much... Uh, devastation to the economy as well as the environment, it is really a reminder that 2020 actually began as a green swan event which evolved into a pandemic event. So into the future, we're going to live in a fairly high-risk environment of more natural disasters. And there really are... Big things to consider here in Australia and different again in New Zealand. In Australia, we have to be very wary of floods and 
cyclones and bushfires. We have to be very wary of freak storm events owning real estate. In New Zealand, of course, Christchurch bears testament to a massive earthquake which shook the place to the ground, uh, you know, some sort of 10 years back. So Kiwis are kind of now really across the green swan world. Here in Australia, the bushfires that, you know, ripped through much of the eastern seaboard of Australia in 2020, you know, eradicated thousands of properties. And of course, some areas now are not insurable. And we have seen this before. Our cyclones are getting stronger. They're getting more uh, rapid. Our rainfalls are getting more devastating. And uh, the actual size of that rain is now just penetrating the ground with so much ferocity that we are now seeing more floods, uh, more challenges when it comes to the real world of interfacing with planet Earth, right? So there are lessons here to understand and I think it remissive not to talk about it. You know, a lot of the conversation around real estate is around, you know, capital growth and uh, adding value. What if you're adding value to a property which is earmarked in the next 20 years to be uninsurable. This is the world we currently live in. We are really moving from an economy where we really turned a blind eye to an economy now where major companies are starting to really peel back the layers to go deeper inside climate change. Major insurance companies, and I've sat in on the briefings, are now creating assessments and scenarios for some cities in Australia to really not even be insurable when it comes to holding real assets of property. On the flip side, there are so much bright things happening from urban farms on top of rooftops of buildings to buildings creating their own sustainability, which today means that scientists are now part of the design team of real estate. An incredible transformation of how really real estate is working across both Australia and New Zealand and many parts of the world. Can you imagine once you needed a town planner and an architect today, you need a town planner, an architect, and a science to, scientist to think about the properties of today to mirror climate change and how we respond to it. You know, the world gets together economically all the time, world leaders, and of course, one of those periods was the Paris Accord to settle down the planet when it comes to emissions. And real estate is a big emitter. And we are starting to see the transformation of what owning real estate is going to be. We've got insurance risk. 
We also are now living in a period where real estate emission risk is a big comprehension for property owners. You know, the social prosperity which people want can't just come from the economy. It has to come from the physical world and obviously community itself. And I think when we think of three economies, community economics, physical economics, and the economy itself, the economy of being prosperous and having a job, we can often find some hidden clues on how we should invest as a property investor. If you've got a great area which is beautiful to live in, it's got the ability to dodge the bullet of cyclones and floods, you've probably got a very good physical place to own real estate. If that's near good jobs and uh, the, the idea of economics, it's probably a good idea to own real estate. And of course, if it has a very good community spirit and more people want to be part of it, it's probably a very good idea to own real estate there. Now, the idea of wellness and sustainability are tied together. I teach the idea that we want to own real estate in a wellness community. Now, to explain wellness, I often refer to a friend of mine, Marcus Pierce, who teaches the idea of longevity. The idea that simply people are going to live a very long time and if we start to mirror up what sustainability means and what wellness means, we're going to find prosperity for us as investors. You know, there are five blue zones around the world which are simply places where people won't die. They live forever. One of those places is Ikaria in Greece. Ikaria is an area on the earth where people have kind of found this spirit of life where people can live a very long time. And a lot of it to do, a lot of what it, it, it is about is about the movement of people, the lifestyle of people, the food, the diet, the well-being of the residents who live there. They don't own cars, they walk. They grow their own food. They uh, enjoy community. They love catching up and having a glass of wine. The secret and spice to longevity has a lot to do with climate change. Because when you go to the simple communities around the world which are connected to what is known as the blue zone, places where people simply won't die and they live a long time and live a healthy life, there are some key metrics which really the world can adopt that all of a sudden if we can reshape the way we live, work and play and we discover what that really means, we're going to find not only a really expensive real estate market where there's lots of capital growth, we're also going to obviously uh, live a lot longer ourselves but also... Uh, probably give back to the planet in a better and more meaningful manner. Now, let me ask you this question. 
What if a property could make you live longer? What if a property could make you live longer? Would you buy it? Would you buy that real estate if you were kind of guaranteed another 10 years of existence compared to an alternative piece of real estate? It's a very interesting question. And it really is the idea of wellness, the blue zone effect, that there are places in Australia and New Zealand where people can live, even in major cities, which experience the blue zone effect. And Byron Bay in Australia is one of these areas. Byron Bay today is really Australia's version of Ikaria. It is a place where people are almost at breaking point to try and own real estate there. If you want to know what the most expensive area in Australia is, it is actually Byron Bay. So why is Byron Bay expensive? Well, when you think about what it has to offer, natural amenity that you can't reproduce anywhere, you can't re-emulate its natural amenity. It's got a township which centres itself around health and wellness and obviously good food and natural uh, locally produced produce. All of a sudden, you can understand why people are paying for the cup of life. And there's so many lessons to learn about wellness and capital growth. Property investors can embrace the idea that if you can find a suburb which is centered around wellness, you can almost bet on that it is going to rise in value when it comes to its real estate. The simple truth is there is not enough places like Byron Bay in Australia so they become expensive. There are just not enough Icarias in Australia. So the ones that exist become expensive because they're very livable, but also they embrace and embody the idea of climate resilience and the discussion around that piece. Now, Byron Bay's been appearing on the news recently as like at breaking point. People are literally uh, waiting for 40 minutes to get into the town centre because it's been overrun by people willing to pay wellness premiums to live in this neighbourhood. Now, it's arguably almost reached its tipping point of being too well where it's starting to slide because so many people want the experience of just living in a protectorate. And there are so many lessons here because so many property investors run off to areas without comprehending whether they're good for people or they're good for the climate. And I think the day of reckoning around this conversation is, is here. My 
thought process initially when I designed the model of investing in wellness was around sustainability, around climate change. How lucky are you if you live in a wellness community on a hot summer's day? Your suburb is probably 25 degrees. The alternative suburb, an unwell area, 40 degrees. All of a sudden, your microclimate is more appealing. All of a sudden, people are prepared to pay more for it. But actually, what has really proven to reconfirm the model of wellness has been a pandemic. People have rushed to wellness communities and are willing to pay absolutely a huge amount of money to own real estate in them. And Byron Bay is an extreme example, but in Melbourne or Sydney or Brisbane, there are wellness suburbs which absolutely crank it. And I'll talk to you a little bit about those wellness neighbourhoods a little later in today's show. You know, we live in a planet with finite resources and as a human, it's really our duty to be responsible for the resources we use and I guess every decision we make has, a, has an impact. You know, I feel bad killing the fly. The fly is going to die because of some, I don't know, thing inside a can. You know, is that responsible of me to kill the fly with the can? We have challenges, right? Unless as individuals we, we don't um, address them, you know, we're going to continue to run into more green swan events, massive floods. You know, we've had, you know, floods take out cities like Townsville, like literally 500-year, like, biblical floods that just engulfed the whole city. We've had flash floods in Sydney of recent times. It is getting very unpredictable. And I think to comprehend why, we need to have a little bit of a conversation around urbanisation, around just how big the world is becoming. You know, over the course of this presentation, 8,000 people will have moved to a seminar, but sorry, will have moved to a city by the end of this presentation. Every single day around the world, we need 96,000 new houses, 96,000 a day. Three million people a week move to our cities around the globe. Every one minute and 27 seconds here in Australia, a new person is created in one way, shape or form through migration or natural births. You know, every three minutes and 55 seconds, we need a new property. And, for example, here in Australia, Melbourne has 18 suburbs, just 18 suburbs, which are suggested to be five-star rated for future climate change. Just 18 places. So the conversation is, well, how valuable do those 18 places become? You know, human-induced climate change is happening. It's real. And what we do know from coronavirus is when we all go and stay inside and don't go out, 
just how clear the skies are, just how amazing nature responds to it. I think we're all accustomed to seeing the images of, you know, a dirty Venetian Italian city with waterways which are just mud turned to crystal blue waters with dolphins swimming through it or Indian cities 200 kilometres from the Himalayas which people who have lived in those cities have never seen the Himalayas because of literally some of the worst air quality in the world all of a sudden see the Himalayas by virtue of improved air quality. You know, we talk about the pandemic as something to fear, but for many countries around the world, more people die of air quality issues than, than of course, the terrible pandemic which has swept the world. In India, a million people a year die from poor air quality. In fact, India has some of the most polluted cities in the world, which, again, you know, just create absolute havoc at a global level. You know, here in Australia, we are a very big continent, but we don't have a lot of land which is fertile land. So our land management is very questionable. You know, I've spent time with people who are property investors but also fire persons or fire people, firemen, firemen. And, uh, you know, what's so interesting with when you do spend time with them is they, they say in some pockets of our cities like Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and, and so forth, peop- we are building houses in places just two to three years before that. They were fighting wild bushfires so amazing to understand that we have a real lack of fertile land in a very disrupted ecological system and we're taking even more land back to obviously house a growing population and we're doing that by creating homes in areas which we know are risk to future insurance claims. You know, Melbourne is set to lose 40% of its remaining trees by 2030. 40% are going to go. They're going to be cleared. Now, I've been to places in Melbourne which simply have no trees. Suburbs where there is simply not a tree left in the neighbourhood. Now, These are brand new communities which are literally almost like moonscape deserts with not one tree in them. How hot does it become on a hot summer's day in Melbourne living in a suburb where there's no trees? Well, of course it becomes bloody hot. Remember, by 2050, the world is going to be urbanised. 75% of the world is going to live in major cities which are reclaiming fertile land. That challenge is both an opportunity for property investors and a warning for property investors. Though, economically, it makes kind of sense to understand that 
because of the population swell in Australian and New Zealand cities, real estate will probably become more valuable. But what will generally happen is risk will become higher and there will be a separation of values between risky real estate assets, real assets, which are uh, impacted by climate, to real estate assets, which are fundamentally going to survive the next 20 or 30 years unscathed when it comes to our sustainability problems. You know, there is never going to be a sustainable world unless there is sustainable cities. And though Australia has, you know, a big coastline, really from an economic proposition, our major population needs to live either close to or in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane on the east coast and, you know, Adelaide and Perth on the south and west coast. Similar to New Zealand, people really do need to live in close proximity to, you know, Wellington and, and, and Auckland and Christchurch to prosper from the economic world. Australia's population will swell and it has created a lot of challenges on really the living experience of people. You know, one thing which is the pandemic has really given back to society is time. Time to get things a little bit right. There's less people using the train. So that gives city planners and, and government a little bit of breathing space because we were at breaking point. You know, Australia has the 12th highest cost of living in the world. Sydney is the mo second most expensive city in the world. Australia is the fifth fattest country in the world. People are overweight here. Uh, we have terrible internet. We're in 50th place in the world for internet. Brisbane is Australia's most mobile city, ranked 48th in the world. The average commute time from work one way in Sydney is 63 minutes. 63 minutes. Australia has some of the worst carbon admission per capita of the Western world. And the average Australian travels 32 kilometres a day to interface with, with work, right? So we are not living uh, a low carbon footprint. And this really is going to impact uh, the way the way we transform, you know, decentralizing is a thing, but we are going to continue to have overcrowded transport, overcrowded roads, overcrowded uh, populous areas, which again throw value back to just how valuable is a wellness neighborhood if it's well received by the community. And I just don't, I don't mean Lake Weirdo. I don't mean some little weird beach on the coast where there's no flags to swim between, there's no lifeguards, and there's nothing there but a fish, fish and bait and tackle store, that is not going to provide longevity. Uh, and it certainly is, if anything, just going to create more carbon footprint 
because, again, there is no sustainable world without sustainable cities. You know, really today I wanted to talk about the humanistic side of climate change, what it means to you as a human, how can you interface with the world better and what that actually means to you from a real estate point of view. You know, the warning I have is the red zone warning. Dramatic hikes in insurance premiums combined with tighter lending in response to climate change. That is the red zone. I am telling you, big firms, big insurance companies, GE, uh, you know, QBE, these firms have climate risk showing that into the future, just 20 years from now, up to 720,000 dwellings will be uninsurable due to their risk to extreme weather conditions, up to a 720,000 dwellings. It's amazing. You've got to really start to think, well, okay, am I safe where I'm buying my real estate? Am I going to get burnt down? And as we know, much of uh, certainly our regional slash rural communities are subject to bushfires. Uh, One of the things I can say about cities is quite often they're, you know, quite, um, you know, fairly well safe from bushfires. Cyclones are going to be big in Australia. Earthquakes will be continue to happen in New Zealand. Floods will continue to happen in both countries. And so... A little bit of climate risk management is very important. You know, there is a concept known as the urban heat island effect. The urban heat island effect. You know, there are studies now that in Sydney on the same day, properties on the coastline can be up to 18 degrees cooler than some of the suburbs which are a distance from the coastline. In other words, you're literally having a cool and, you know, nice day at 25 degrees uh, literally on the coast and then you go inland and you're, you're, you're at 43 degrees. The ability for uh, climate change to impact a suburb which is on, which gets a 43 degree day is obviously much higher why because what happens is the urban heat island effect is essentially we are building a lot of concrete in our neighborhoods and because we build a lot of concrete if it was to rain on a hot day if it was if a fire was to spark on a hot day all of a sudden, we, we will see outbreaks of bushfires and floods. And again, like uh, we also see things like human side of things where people pass away in 40-plus degree days. So again, it's sort of like all of a sudden, 
if I could buy a place which is going to make me live longer, people are going to pay more for that. And this is the idea of understanding how climate interfaces with real estate investment. I personally love buying real estate where I know that my real estate potentially has the ability to provide longevity to the community because people will pay more for that interface, wellness. Wellness is a factor of climate change. You know, research reveals that the dangerous impact of increasing temperatures in certain pockets of our cities that suffer the urban heat island effect are now affecting uh, day-to-day life. Things like, uh, you know, schools get shut, uh, kids get impacted. So uh, all of these things play a part. And again, I just want you to make, make you aware that you have a choice. And being a property investor and not understanding that the world is changing and not doing anything about it does not make sense to me. That is inaction. Inaction to me is buying a property in a suburb which has no wellness and is in a higher risk group to future climate change. That to me is just really stupidity. The number one rule of real estate investing is to not lose money. Into the future, people will lose money by not providing wellness for their community through housing and or climate change. So how can we prepare? What can we do to change? It's amazing. I haven't had any kafoon. I've had kafoon all morning. I've been sneezing like every single three minutes and now I'm doing the podcast, no kafoon. I'm free of kafoon. So how can we repair? Well, prepares. So I'm going to give you two ways to understand how to prepare your real estate for the active world of wellness and climate change. The first uh, idea to understand is the idea of sustainability. Now, the CSIRO have come up with some scientific research into what we should buy to own a sustainable property, which is without question going to be better received by both insurers and of course add value to uh, all consumers and add value to the climate itself. Remember, we need to understand sustainability is now a metric of government. And what's so great, you know, the Victorian government has come out and said they're going to create a fund to help people create better thermal efficiency in their properties. In other words, to run a property, to heat it, to cool it, to recycle water is now big on the agenda because real estate is a carbon polluter. And what the unstated cost to people that don't really have a high energy rated property is 10 years from now will be a very expensive exercise to retrofit. In other words, right now we are going through a transformation where green technology and the green economy 
is a thing. And the more green our real estate is, the less future insurance and retrofitting costs to renovate to create thermal efficiency there will be. In fact, consumers will arguably shop on energy-efficient ratings. In Canberra today, and I've stated this before, if you take a property to market in the ACT, you've got to showcase its Green Star energy-efficient rating. No different to buying a, uh, you know, dishwasher. What's the energy-efficient rating of your dishwasher? Well, it's a two-star. It's cheap but it costs more to run. And as insurance costs rise, as the cost of energy rises, all of a sudden the consumer is like, well, how do I get a piece of real estate with less uh, contingent liability? So there's 17 tips. You can Google the 17 tips of choosing the right property when it comes to sustainability. Uh, CSIRO, go check it out. But I can tell you, uh, for me, thermal efficiency is big. And uh, I have been investing and I always make sure that I choose a property with great thermal efficiency. You really do need a minimum of six stars to be considered thermally efficient, but you can get up to 10 stars. Now, I'm going to play a little video. You're going to have to visualize this video, but I think it's important to play. Um, and hopefully you can hear it. Uh, I'll swing around the mic and uh, I might try and kill the fly while you guys are listening. Many of the things we buy are classified with star ratings. They can help us choose a hotel, a movie, even a fridge. Even with the most expensive things we buy, our homes, there's also a star rating. The Nationwide House Energy Rating Scheme, or NATAS for short. NATAS uses software based on scientific research by the CSIRO and has been refined over many years. The software models your house plans to estimate the amount of energy it will need for heating and cooling. Taking into account hundreds of factors, such as the building's construction, local climate and orientation, our National Star Rating System scores your house between 0 and 10 stars. Builders often use a NATAS rating to show a new home or renovation meets the minimum energy efficiency requirements in your state or territory. But if you want more than the minimum, it's best to get a NATAS assessment at the planning and design stage. This is when a NATAS assessor can give you expert advice on how to build or change your home to improve its energy use. Take this house for example. Through careful design, it has been made more comfortable to live in and requires less energy to heat and cool. Its kitchen, lounge and living areas are on the north side of the house. Its windows, eaves and awnings let sunlight in or block it out at different times of year, which helps keep the inside temperature comfortable throughout the seasons. Insulation, well-placed ventilation and careful material choices also help to keep the temperature right. All these design choices increase this home's NATAS rating and make it more energy efficient, perhaps at no extra cost. Remember, the more stars your home has, the more you can potentially save on energy bills, the higher its resale value could be. And of course, by reducing your energy needs, you're also helping the environment too. So, um, that's 
that's the world we live in. And this is stuff property investors don't consider that, you know, we now live in an energy conscious marketplace. Sustainability is big. And the first thing you can do as a consumer is to make sure that you understand the thermal efficiency of your real estate. In Victoria, as I say, government has created close to $1 billion to help transform homes thermal efficiency. And a lot of that fund is designed around sort of re-creating uh, thermal efficiency in government-owned real estate. Uh, and so what that is going to mean is there is soon going to be a standard that a rental property will have to have a thermal rating to even rent. And this is going, again, to, to be uh, really a transformation, particularly for those people who have skimped on cheap in a marketplace which is actually looking for efficiency. So... It is going to transform, uh, really, how real estate works. And, of course, a lot of this is to do with, um, you know, the use of water, the use of solar, and that is going to be on the forefront of, in particular, consumers into the future. As a property investor, we can start to even uh, be part of owning energy when we start to invest in things like solar, we can sell energy back to the grid, for example, being a property owner. But for me, you know, there are really two ways you can mitigate impact of climate change and future insurance risks and energy risks. The first way is to understand thermal efficiency and potentially invest in real estate, which is highly desirable, functional, and of course, thermally efficient for its efficiency. The second way is to really understand that wellness is something people are paying a lot for and we're seeing that in Byron Bay, we're seeing that in just about every suburb which has a reasonable score when it comes to health and well-being because health and well-being also uh, really does have a better risk score for the most part or often things like climate change. Now, uh, or the things of particularly green swan events where, you know, flash floods and bushfires and cyclones, right? So it's, it's quite often a very, very important thing to understand. You know, I had a property that I had to let go because of climate change. I've, I'm already a person who has gone through this uh, I owned a property on a beach, absolute beachfront in Cairns, absolutely cracking property, beautiful view, loved it, used to holiday there all the time, it was kind of like my holiday house, but Cairns gets impacted by cyclones, and that property became uninsurable, the cost to insure it skyrocketed to the point where the yearly cost to own that property was scary, was scary. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't own a property overlooking water or overlooking Sydney Harbour or whatever. Cairns has cyclones. You know, Sydney doesn't have cyclones. But climate change is real. And the, 
biggest impacts you can understand from a geograph- geographical sense are usually things like bushfires in, uh, you know, in, in the southeast of Australia, uh, cyclones and floods more common in the north of Australia. And no doubt there are differences in New Zealand as well. So healthy suburbs are actually being studied. And healthy suburbs, without question, get obviously the Byron Bay effect. Today, Byron Bay is Australia's most expensive real estate marketplace. Everyone wants to to live there. And the reason is uh, it, it gets an absolute cracking health score. Now, the determination of well-being is, again, a study. Domain, for example, has studied well-being. When they look at, I guess, suburbs and well-being, there is some big contrast. For example, Rudy Hill in Sydney gets half a star for well-being. In other words, it is not an Ikaria suburb. It is not a neighbourhood where longevity is probably going to work out for people. People can't uh, enjoy wellness. Remember, in Ikaria, wellness was walking around, community-based events, you know, catching up for a wine, um, you know, not being too stressed out, um, being able to, to live where they work, and this suburb scores half a star. Yuguna, which is... Again, a Sydney suburb gets one star. Zetland, which is kind of this horrible, like thousands of apartments all clustered together, another Sydney suburb gets 2.5 stars. Manly in Sydney gets a complete five-star rating. And... Manly, rather like Byron Bay, obviously easy if you've been to Manly Beach, if you've ever caught the Manly Ferry across Circular Quay to Manly, uh, Manly Beach, you would understand it is a place economy, it is a wellness economy. And so obviously real estate in that suburb is going to continue to become more valuable. It doesn't really matter that the average apartment there is already $1.2 million. It'll become $1.8 million. The reason being wellness. The average house will go up. Reason being wellness. So you can really start to track a lot of the idea of the well-being efficiency of a neighbourhood. Again, how much would you pay if a suburb could make you live longer? That is really the question and I think quite often real estate investors might look at a suburb and go, well, I'm getting a $30,000 discount or a $50,000 discount but I'm actually buying in an unwell neighbourhood which potentially has some hardcore impacts from things like the urban heat island effect. The average temperature of my suburb is 40 degrees Here's the thing, the average temperature of Rudy Hill at half a star wellness rating is a lot higher than Manly. People on the same day are going to the beach in Manly, it's 28 degrees. People in Rudy Hill are having a same day, a 40 degree experience. So this stuff is is real, right? And the more you start to comprehend it, 
as a property investor, you know, the wealthier you're going to become. Wellness is a thing and some of the key metrics that, for example, Domain used to assess a suburb's well-being, things like walkability, we discussed that with Ikaria. Uh, things like active transport. Active transport is just, again, the ability for you to use you as transport. That could be things like cycling or scootering or a quick little Uber active transport as opposed to heavy transport, which, again, is, is not necessarily great for well-being. Open space is important. Obviously, Manly Beach has got a lot of open space, a lot of parks, a lot of beach. It's got like three, five, six different beaches. It's got bushland. It's got walkways. It's got a lot of open space. Some suburbs literally have no open space other than perhaps one soccer field. You can imagine the ability to, to integrate in that suburb from a well-being point of view is often challenged. Tree cover is big, right? Some suburbs have so much tree cover that they really do have a completely different microclimate to other neighbourhoods. And, you know, I love suburbs with beautiful tree cover. You know, I was just down in Canberra in a suburb called Narrabunda. The tree index of that neighbourhood is just off the charts. I mean, that is a botanical suburb. Absolutely beautiful neighbourhood. And, again, when you compare that to perhaps a suburb, you know, suburb that springs to mind to me is Tarni in Victoria, there is literally, it's like spot the tree. It's like, there are no trees. Where are the trees? How do people survive as the climate grows hotter in a suburb with no trees? For me, that just earmarks a challenge, a future insurance risk, an urban heat island risk, and a livability well-being risk. So there are so many little factors to understand when it comes to being a property investor. You know, we've got the market risk that the market now is evolving to go, we want well-being, we want livability, we want wellness. That is a market risk. By choosing not to do that, you are taking a risk. Liquidity risk. Some real estate, again, will suffer into the future a liquidity risk. In other words, people will see it as worthless because its insurance cost is too high. The operational risk is also a big challenge for people to understand that they perhaps own a property which the government is going to ask of them to change the operational functionality of that property from non-thermal to thermal. These are big conversations. Again, for me, I'm investing in markets which are following the idea of wellness, not the opposite. I'm investing in those markets and my liquidity risk is low. They will continue to thrive. The operational risk of what I'm investing in in those marketplaces 
carries high thermal efficiency. And of course, from an insurance risk, uh, things are going to evolve. One of the biggest challenges is the holding costs of insurance around real estate. I think into the future, you're going to find some suburbs, particularly in Australia, that are you know, quite often impacted by cyclone, floods or bushfires are going to, in particular, become a lot more challenged. And so the wellness revolution is here and it really is reshaping society and people today are prepared to pay a premium, sales premiums for wellness, lifestyle, real estate on average can skyrocket from 5% to 55% from a growth perspective compared to the normal. Think about that one. Well, guys, ladies and gents, thanks so much for your time. That's it for me. I'm going to knock off now. We will talk more about real estate into the future. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you like my content, if you like my podcasts, hey, do us a favor. I do want to spread the word want to get some new subscribers so i need to do that i need to ask you to give me a review because the more reviews you give me the more other people this content reaches really am trying to change the world one podcast at a time hey thanks for listening i'll catch you soon on the urban property investor podcast Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.